0: Before we jump in, if you were a small child on site, you walked in. Preschool, elementary kids, you were handed a bag, and inside those bags are some super sweet glasses. And when you see this slide here, this is a slide you need to be wearing those glasses on because there may be something in there for you to see to help solve a code That you will get to. So, right now, if you're looking and you think, I don't see anything, your glasses aren't broke. It's because there's nothing on the slide, all right? I just wanted to give you this opportunity to know what we're getting into. So, um, parents, don't be jealous, but you are missing out, all right? So, let's jump in. So, this week, um, there's a lot to celebrate in the course of this week. First of all, if you happen to be a parent online, on site, whatever, you know that next week, in most of the districts in Massachusetts, kids are going back to physical on site school, which means you are no longer educating for the most part. So that's like kind of good news. And um, so my daughter and I were celebrating that this week because she had had me on Wednesdays for her education process, which meant she took a serious dip on Wednesdays in her education journey. And so we we're, we were um, outside eating dinner um, and we're talking. And we're like, can you believe this? Like, we actually, like, you get to go to school five days. And she's like, I know, that's crazy. And then um, her um, Nana, who's now vaccinated, was able to come this weekend. So she got to see her Nana, which was a really big deal. And so she was super excited about that. And then Easter service, um, you missed it. In the first service, she was a greeter. And she was probably the most enthusiastic greeter I have ever seen. She was so happy welcoming every person who was coming on site um, because she she woke like this morning at six something. She came in. She was like, I couldn't sleep. I was so excited about church. And so she was just so excited. But then we have this amazing conversation, and it turned to this really kind of, kind of dark moment. I didn't think that I'd get to like nine years old, and we would have a severe disagreement that potentially had the power to rip apart our family political, you know. We don't know anything about that in the last year. But... Um, I looked at her, and I said, you know, the Easter Bunny, uh, you know, he's going to be coming as well. And she's like, "Um, the Easter Bunny's not a boy. The Easter Bunny's a girl, Dad. He lays eggs? Mm Mm-mm. She lays eggs. And I was like, oh, yeah, no. Peter Cottontail, bam, okay? Easter Bunny's a boy. I win. You're wrong, right? This is the like standard for here comes Peter, cottontail, hopping down the bunny trail, Easter's on his way, right? Clearly a boy. And as I'm like so confidently arguing from my position, it starts to hit me that the Easter bunny is sort of strange. Think about it, right? Here's this six-foot being who breaks into your house in the middle of the night this male bunny then makes a nest inside of a basket and lays its offspring in the form of eggs, only to then abandon those offspring so that you can then eat them. The Easter bunny is weird. Like, if imagine if this was real, and you believed you went to sleep at night, And while you were sleeping, this thing came into your house, laid its eggs in your basket. Presumably for them to wake up and take over your household, like this one looks like. We would not celebrate the Easter bunny. We would try to eradicate all Easter bunnies. It just makes sense. But the reality is, is we live with a disconnect. This thing is terrifying. And that child still doesn't sleep at night. And she's 37, okay? Like, this is not normal. But the reality is that we can live with the same type of disconnect in between Easter and the Easter bunny as I believe we can with Easter and the Easter story. Because if we really believe the Easter bunny was sneaking into our house to lay its eggs, we'd probably do something about it. And I believe that if we really understood the power of the Easter story, we'd do something about it too. You see, the Easter moment is a moment in history. 2,000 years ago, a carpenter turned traveling rabbi, proclaiming teaching, performing miracles, telling everyone about who God is and what God had sent him to do is ultimately with a band of followers that has grown from the course of three years from zero to tens of thousands of people, is ultimately put through a sham trial, crucified, and on that Friday night, he's placed in a tomb, and everyone who follows Jesus believes it's over. Because it should be. Because that's how things end. In the grave. And then Saturday the grief of three years of anticipation is washing over them. They had sold their lives out for the last three years for a sham, for a dead man. I don't know if it was self-loathing, if it was how could I have been so dumb, or I really thought it was going to turn out differently. But that grief of Saturday turned in to the grace and victory of Sunday. But the thing that we have to remember 2,000 years later, as one of my mentors says, is that nobody that Saturday expected to find nobody that Sunday. That was not what they anticipated. And it had ripple effects. 2,000 years later, we call that moment Easter. We celebrate that moment. We reflect on that moment. But I don't want to camp in that story because it's just not about the historical moment. I want to fast forward 30 years from the first Easter moment to another Easter moment, a moment where Paul, who's one of the most famous communicators of the Christian message, is writing his last letter while on earth. He's writing it to a boy who's one day going to become this man who's going to take over his ministry and he's trying to prepare them and and download and help him navigate some challenges and struggles he's walking through. And he writes two letters to him, but the second letter is the one I want to look at. And it's called Second Timothy. And it says, but you, speaking to Timothy, keep your head in all situations. He's just unpacked for Timothy right above this passage a bunch of things that Timothy's navigating. And he says, Timothy, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist, a pastor, minister, teacher, proclaimer, spreading this message of good news and hope. Discharge, discharge all the duties of your ministries. Like, Timothy, keep your head. Don't give up. Keep being faithful. Keep moving forward. Now, when we read it, and you've just read, if you've read this book before, You're like, man, Timothy's going through a lot of stuff. Surely, Paul, you don't mean in all situations. Maybe, like, there's an asterisk. Maybe there's some situations where you're allowed to not keep your head. Maybe there's some situations where you can have a little bit of a struggle. You can lose control. But Timothy knew Paul, and Timothy knew what Paul was thinking about when he said all situations. And fortunately for us, Paul had written another letter, um, his um, letter that we call the second letter to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 11 he actually outlines what he's gone through it's kind of his list of things he's overcome he says I've been constantly on the move I've been in danger from rivers in danger from bandits in danger from my fellow Jews in danger from Gentiles in danger in the city in danger in the country in danger at sea and in danger from false believers kind of picking up on pattern there a little bit of danger he continues, he says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Horrible. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. Then I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep, and I have known hunger and thirst, and I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked, and besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. I mean, Paul has just unpacked for us a whole laundry list of different situations he's been in. It seems like Paul knows a little bit about tough situations. In fact, 2 Corinthians 11, there's would be the very, like, opposite of my bucket list in life. Like, you know, the idea of a bucket list, like all the things you want to do before you pass away. Like, 2 Corinthians 11 is my anti-bucket list. If I can make it through my entire life, have never experienced any of those things, I will consider my life have been a victory and a win, right? Like, I don't want to go through any of that stuff. And yet, Paul goes through all of those things. And yet, We're about to read the words that he writes. These words that give us some insight. So how did Paul respond to those? Well, Paul, I think, has a different picture than maybe some of us. And in the same way that some of the kids in the room have been watching and wearing these red glasses, and they're seeing things that the rest of us don't see, I think that because of Easter, Paul was able to see his situations and his circumstances differently too. That's why he writes uh, just a few verses after those long list of things he's endured. He says, that is why, for Christ's sakes, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. It seemed that Paul saw his struggles differently because of Jesus Christ. Because... Of the resurrection. That in the same way that these kids have been wearing red glasses and it changed the way they saw things, Paul saw what he was walking through differently because of the resurrection. Which is why I think you see Paul continue his letter to Timothy with these words. He says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now, you need to know Paul is writing this letter in prison, a prison that I've actually physically been to. One of the most powerful moments in my spiritual journey was standing inside this little tiny hole in the ground inside of Rome on the backside of the Roman Forum. It's a prison you can still go to the day you walk down this winding little tiny staircase into this really cramped Paul, some of you are too tall to even be in there without bending your head because there was about that much coverage between my head and the roof of this rock hole. It's literally a rock that had been chiseled and chipped and emptied out. And you stand inside of this dark room and our tour guide left us and it was just Jenny and I, and my wife, and I'm standing in there and I pull out this letter that Paul writes and I started reading it out loud from my phone. In this dark room, knowing that Paul would have had no light, And what I know about this is that he's talking about a departure, but he's not talking about his release from prison. He knows that whether it's a few days, few weeks, or a few months, he's actually going to be executed. It's over. And the irony is that he has told Timothy to keep his head, but in a very short time, Paul is going to lose his and for Timothy, I don't think the irony would have been lost later down the road. That Paul meant, literally, Timothy, you can keep your head in all situations even when you lose it. Because Nero can cut off my head, but he can't cut off my hope. You can take everything away from me, but you can't take the one thing that's my, ho- my confidence and my foundation. And he's saying, I'm, I'm good, Timothy. I've, I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. I've made it there. That, Timothy, don't worry about me because I've done it. Nero can't cut off my hope, the hope that I have in Jesus that changes how I see everything. Now, um, I don't know about you, but I love memes like I would honestly just sit and scroll through memes, like the funny pictures that, you know, my wife and I, um, we com- probably 50% of our communication is memes and dumb and dumber quotes, the movie. Like, that's about 50 to 60% of how my wife and I communicate, is funny pictures back and forth, periodically d- dispersed with, like, dumb and dumber quotes. And um, we have a great relationship, and we say a lot of things because you can say anything with a meme. And so anyways, um, I'm laying in bed, and I, I think about what could be a meme. So a couple nights ago, I was laying in bed, and I was reading a book about a really old dude who's now dead. He's, it's like a book about a guy from 1600s because I like reading old stuff. And I'm reading about this guy, and the cover of the book is this. And he's like, you know, for a guy from the 1600s, he's pretty spry, you know. He's got the, like, poofy hair thing going. I'm not sure how he was dressed, but hey. I ain't judging. And, um, and so he's kind of doing this. And then I turn the page, and I see this. And I was like, Jenny, Jenny, Jenny. She's like, what? I was like, I just figured out how to communicate what has happened on the inside of me over the last year. I came into the pandemic, and I looked and felt like this. I'm coming out of the pandemic, and I feel and look like this. It's like, that is it for me. That captures how I feel on the inside. And this picture still doesn't do justice to how funny the picture is inside the book. I was like, that's it. I don't know if anybody else can relate to that. Can you relate to feeling like this after this last year? Another meme, this is one I think about every single day of my life. Every morning I wake up, no joke, this is what plays through my head. You ready? Here it goes. Okay. Because... I live in a house full of chipper people who wake up The sun is shining, the the birds are singing, my wife, my children are this little peppy white chihuahua over here, they're all like happy and the world is great and grand and they're talking way too many words for me to understand and I wake up like this, I literally physically get out of the bed like that dog, I walk around the house looking like that dog until I have about two cups of coffee, don't even try to have a conversation with me because I don't like using words until about 10am. Now, you may think I'm grumpy. I'm really not grumpy. I just don't like people until about 10 a.m. But after 10 a.m. and two cups of coffee, I think people are sort of okay. And by one, I really like you. I really do. But this is how I feel. But when I think about Easter, there's another image that comes to my mind that I feel like captures the story of Easter for me in my life. And it's this one. This is a picture of... Taken in, in a moment where you can still see it today, Isabel Stewart, Stewart Gardner Museum, um, downtown Boston. It's the location of the most famous and the largest art heist in human history. Half a billion dollars worth of art was stolen in the course of one night by two men dressed up like cops. Netflix, because they make documentaries about everything, has a documentary actually coming out this week about this one that I'm actually really excited about. But the French actually have a word for what you see here with the empty frame that's delineating the missing painting. They call it a phantom. It's where we get the English word for phantom or shadow or ghost or void. That when I think about me and Easter, this is the picture that comes to mind because until while Easter was a historical moment, it it hadn't impacted my story yet. And my story, this was a living picture of what my story felt like. I felt like everything on the outside looked good. I had things bordered up, framed up really good, I, things made sense. But something on the inside was missing. No amount of relationships, no amount of decisions, good or bad, could fill that void. No amount of religious services, no amount of me trying really hard could fix and fill that frame out. And I would sense it. On my best days, I'd be haunted by the sense that there's still something missing. I'd get to the top of the mountain and pump my fist and realize that the view wasn't worth the climb. And over the course of a summer in 2001, God began to open my eyes to the fact that what was intended to fill this void was Him. And that what was currently reality in my life was all the things that I did, all of the brokenness, all the loneliness, all the the despair, all of those things that I was trying to fill was ultimately a pursuit of trying to fill it with him. And that Easter was his attempt to pave the way so that he could fill that masterpiece that it was supposed to be inside of that frame. That inherently each one of us is of infinite worth because an infinite God paid the most he paid with his life to purchase us. And the insight of Easter is that it doesn't just have to be Paul's story or my story, but that God is desiring to step into all of our stories and fill that void, to recover what was lost, to bring the recovery and the reconciliation of that spiritual disconnect, that everything that we struggle with in our life is ultimately satisfied through Easter because God fills the frame first with him and then everything else starts to come into place. That just like these glasses, when you are able to take them, put them on and understand and see the fuller picture of what Easter says, Easter changes how you see your circumstances, how you see your life, how you see what you're walking through. Easter changes the way you see the cross and the empty grave. You realize that when Jesus walked out of the grave, he wasn't just coming out of the tomb with freedom and grace. He was leaving inside of that grave our shame, our guilt, our despair, our hopelessness, our reckless pursuit of satisfaction and fulfillment and all the other things that ultimately can't do that. There are a lot of good things on planet Earth, but none of those things can replace the God thing. No matter how many love songs say it, No one can complete you. They can just compliment you. And many of us have tried to find someone who's finally going to make all of that inside go away, all that pain, all that disconnect. If I can just find the right identity, if I can just find the right job, if I can find the right bank statement balance, if I can find the right house, if I can find the right spouse, if I can find the fill in the blank. And it all starts with him stepping in to fill it first. And when that happens, it changes how you see things. It changes from Paul knowing he's about to lose his head. He writes these words, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. But yeah, Paul, it's going on a head that's about to be chucked off. No, no, you don't understand. The Lord, the righteous judge, he's going to give it to me on that day. The day that the world will look and think everything's been taken away from me will be the day when the crown is put on me. Because I understand the grave has no hold on me. Death cannot control me. Sin and guilt and shame, I have no fear of it. That peace and joy and love and hope are the things that God is bringing to me. He says, not only to me, but also to all who've longed for his appearing. That ultimately, when we come together and we celebrate and we say the word Easter, It's not just a reflection of what happened in history. It's also a declaration of what God can do in your story too. That your Friday, where you are, can give way to a Sunday where he is. Where hope and peace and joy reign. And my question for you today is maybe over the last year, God's been trying to get your attention. And maybe it takes a little bit more than a pandemic. Maybe it takes a pandemic plus a bald guy, to get it. But is it possible this has been your life? Is it possible that maybe you can resonate with a little bit of my story? That you've been trying to fill it, fill it with a lot of different things, and none of those things have ultimately satisfied it. And I get it. Maybe you want to look tough. Maybe you want to look like you have it all together. Maybe you don't want your spouse to be right because they told you this was your problem. Maybe you don't want your parents to be right because you told them you hated church. And if you've stepped across that line, then you'd have to go back on it. It has nothing to do with those people. It has everything to do with Paul understood that all of us one day will see Jesus. And in a moment, this idea, this name will become a face. And that name, that face, that hope wants to fill this space today. And for those who maybe want to learn more about the Christian faith, or lean into the Christian faith, or explore more about how to become a Christian, I would encourage you today: go to this website or click in the app. You can request a book, a conversation. I have, a, I really love deep, challenging questions. We'd we'd be honored to do that with you. And for the rest of us, for us to realize that because of Easter, that. Because of the resurrection, it literally can change how we see everything. That there is a better, truer, deeper story that's bigger than the circumstances standing in front of us. Because he has defeated the grave. He is one that hope is alive and has a name. His name is Jesus.